You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Shirley, welcome to Radical Australia. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. Uh, look, it's a pleasure. Look, uh, I've been wanting to interview you, Shirley Winton, for a long, long time because I think you're <laughs> almost as old as I am. Well, now you've got an opportunity to tear me to pieces. There you go. <laughs> uh, 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 look, this is not that type of program. I've got nothing to prove. You've got everything to prove, OK? I just asked the question. OK. Now, I, only two, I only asked two questions of Radical Australia. One, what year were you born, just to orientate listening? So I was born in 1948. Uh, 48. Ah. Yep. Well, I've got to be—I've got to be respectful to my elders. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. So you've got to watch what you say. <laughs> exactly. I've got to be very respectable, respectful, Shirley. <laughs> um, what's the first thing you remember about life on planet Earth? What's your first memory? You got any idea? Um, yeah. Well, my, my background is a little bit different, probably, to a lot of people. So I was actually born. Um, in Moldavia, that's the old the Soviet Union. Right. Um, so, um, so my memories, my early memories uh, of um, yeah of um, of Kishinev, where I was born, and um, and of the the Soviet Union at the time. Um, and I guess my we're going to talk about the things that really kind of. Um, impressed, left the deepest impression. Childhood, you know, you have lots of memories, but I think one of the deepest impressions that was left on me and possibly had quite an influence for the rest of my life was um, I saw in the newspapers, I think I was about six, and I saw in the newspaper there was a photograph of a an Afro-African-American um, in I don't know in one of the one of the cities in America, being mm. um, stuck into by the police by white police with a baton. Well, there were more than one. Right. There were two or three. I remember. And I, 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 it just to me it just seemed totally incongruous. There was just I was just horrified by it basically. Right. So. And this, this was in Moldova, was it? Sorry. Was this in Moldova or Australia? This was in Moldavia. This when I was right. six. So I came out. Yeah. We came out to Australia when I was ten. Um, ten. Right. Yeah. So, so, that's nice. so that's, how did how did your parents get out of Moldavia in 1958? Um, well, I. I mean, I had a pretty happy childhood. I mean, we didn't have a lot of. Um, um, you know, we, we were quite poor, as I think most people mm-hmm. were, because it was straight after the war. Um, so our housing was not the best. Um, we we had a fairly basic, you know, I mean, we had we had housing, we had food. Um, so, but my, my my childhood memories are actually very good because I I really loved school, really loved school. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to lots of concerts and things like that, and it was it was never an issue um, in my family um, about 
the um, about about money of what you have to pay for schools or for health. Because I was I was quite a sick child. I was born with a congenital heart defect, which was one of the reasons right. why we came to Australia. So um, it was never it was this sort of things were never an issue. But it was also very very rich culturally. So my parents were very you know. Um, we loved loved culture, <clears throat> loved music. My dad was very much into classical music, and my mum um, uh, and both of them were um, read a lot. And my mother was a, actually worked in a as a um, a translator in a publishing house. So my memories there were pretty good as a child, and the school was really great. I loved the teachers. Um, right. So. My mum didn't want to come out. Uh, my dad, see, both my parents were refugees during the Second World War. Um, my dad from Poland, so they're both Jewish. Um, mm-hmm. So my dad um, escaped Poland in 1938-39 when the Nazis invaded. And my mother was from Romania, which was under the uh, Nazi fascist regime there as well. So they both fled to the Soviet Union, which is where they met. And at the time, that was the only country that opened its borders to refugees, Jewish refugees. So my mother, my dad lost most, found his two sisters. And because of my medical condition, um, the doctors basically said, you know, you can only, um, um, it's either America or Australia where they could repair my, my congenital heart defect uh, because it's quite severe. So my dad found his sisters in, in, in Australia. So they came out here um, and and I guess my mum was really, she was very in two minds about it. Um, she had lots of friends and her family were still there. Um, mm-hmm. So from her point of view, it was a, there were mixed feelings. It was bittersweet. Yep. Um, so, um, so when we came... When we, so that that kind of had an, also had an impact on me. Um, when we came here, um, I really had a, a cultural shock, and also. Right. Did you speak any English when you got here? No, 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 no. So I didn't speak any English. Uh, my mother oh. came on the boat. We spent um, four weeks on the on the Roma, which was the Italian boat that brought. Mm-hmm. Migrants and refugees from Europe after the war uh, for quite some number of years. Um, so she, because she was a, she spoke French and Romanian, a bit of German. So she had fairly good sort of background in linguistics. So I vividly remember being on those on the boat, and every day would be learning with my mother because she didn't know English mm-hmm. either. Um, the um, the English language. So, right. so, when, so when, when you came, yeah, when you came by ship, did you land in Fremantle or did you come straight to? No, no, we landed in Fremantle, and that was an incredible shock because I thought we got off the boat, and I thought <laughs> that everyone was dead. That um, all it was in it was in over Christmas. It was in de- late December. I couldn't see. There wasn't a soul in the streets. The only, right. And all the blinds were pulled down, and there was only one dog that I vividly remember, a black dog, lying in, <laughs> under the shade of a tree. But everything, I was terrified. I thought that, you know, <laughs> everyone had died. Anyway. Right. 
Okay. And you got to Melbourne eventually? Sorry? Did you get to Melbourne eventually? Yes, yes, yes. We stopped in Fremantle for only about like a day and a night. And mm. then we arrived in um, in Melbourne, I think it was Christmas Day or the day before Christmas. And, right. um, yeah, so... Were your father's we, sisters there to meet you or...? Yeah, so my father's two sisters were here, yeah. are here, and they met us. Um, they sponsored us to come out um, uh -huh. as well. Um, and um, we lived with them for uh, probably six months or a year, um, but um, they were very vastly different, um, I guess you'd say, outlooks. They were very much, I mean, they were traumatised by the war, obviously, because they were in in the concentration camps um, mm. and um, they were really keen. I mean, they were setting up business and they were really keen for us, for my parents to set up business, go to business with them. And my parents were totally opposed to it. They're not into business because my parents had quite strong the, the positive socialist leadings, I think, you know, mm. about... About exploiting people, um, and they saw very much like in business is, is um, being basically a very self-serving um, way of of living. Um, so we we didn't see things eye to eye, or my parents and um, my my family here. Um, so my father and mum went went off to work in factories. Uh, my mother worked in the clothing factory, you know, in the, in Brunswick on Sydney Road. My father got a job as a printer because um, he was a journalist in in the Soviet Union, and um, and taught himself compo compositing as a compositor mm -hmm. in those hot metal days. Um, and the um, and my mother worked in 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 Sydney Road, Brunswick, in one of those um, textile, you know, a rag trade right. factory. What, what she, was your mother's... Yeah, what's your mother's uh, name and your father's name? Oh, so my mum's name was Fema, and mm -hmm. my mum, my dad's name is A.B., or mm -hmm. was A.B. Right. So my, I, it was interesting because my, my mother, both my parents were sort of, you know... Um, they weren't middle class, but they had quite a strong sort of, I'd say, socialist values, um, mm. human, hum, hum, humane values as well. And I remember my mother saying um, that um, her, how much she loved the women, the, the Margaret women uh, with whom she worked in the, in the factories, in the clothing factories. Yeah. So most of the women yeah. there were either from Greece or from Italy or from Yugoslavia. Um, and she learned all those languages before she even properly learned the English. Um, right. And she had huge respect for for workers, for migrant workers. Right. And that came out... How did you, uh, how, sorry? Uh, how did your English lessons go? I seem to um, it up. Well, I went to school and um, my brother and I were dumped in the back of the classroom and we were just left there. Um, so there were no in those well, that days. Makes two of us. No. Sorry. Same thing happened to me. Same thing happened to me. It was normal practice. <laughs> where are you from? Where, where were you? Did you come uh, from? I, I was actually born here, but I didn't speak a word of English when I went to school at age five. And 
it was normal. All the migrant kids or just forget about it. That's them. right. I suppose this is the way we learnt English. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you kind of uh, you sink or you swim or you do both. <laughs> you go up yeah. and you go down. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So you know you know what it's like. Um, yeah. So, so uh, but yeah. it was interesting. Uh, so you learnt from other kids basically. Um, mm. So I really didn't have any kind of, uh, like most kids and migrant kids didn't have any formal, in those days, grammar, although there's not much grammar in the English language, is there? Um, no, no. So, it's a lot of spelling. There's <laughs> a lot of spelling, that's right. But, you know, one of the things that really, really, one, I mean, there was a, I went through quite a shock coming to Australia. There was, there was the political, there was the cultural, there's a whole lot of value stuff. And one of the things that really kind of shocked me was um, when I was in the, Soviet, um, in the Soviet Union also because my mother was quite involved with books and things. I had read um, the Australian writers like Alan Marsh, you know, I Can Jump Puddles, um, Catherine Susanna Pritchard. Um, and when I went to school here, uh, started school here and sort of after a few years, I realised that the kids, Australian kids had no knowledge of Australian culture, no knowledge of Australian literature, had never heard of Alan Marshall. That was in those days, of course. Mm. Um, Mm. And that was one of the real things that kind of really... uh, I assume you you ended up at the Royal Children's Hospital because of your congenital heart condition. Can you tell us about that? That's right, yep, yep, yep. Can you tell us about... so in, in, when I was 12, I had the, the operation and um, it, was, um, it was a great um, young surgeon who did it. I was only 34, 35. And as it turned out, I had more than one complication. So you probably, you're a doctor, you probably know. Yes. I had the atrial septal defect, but also um, aortic coarctation. And until right. he sort of had a good look at me, he started... Um, he started questioning of whether I had an aortic coarctation as well. Yeah. So he um, so he performed the operation, and he was just fantastic. It was fantastic to my parents, who didn't speak English very well. They were migrants. He paid so much attention to them in explaining things to them through interpreter and from what they could understand. And you know, and I couldn't fault the, the Royal Children's Hospital. And he was also a doctor who, um, at that time and for quite some years afterwards, who used to regularly travel to um, to Asia and do the the hole in the heart operations there for yeah. young children. Um, yeah. And that was like free of charge. It was like his voluntary work. So he was um, quite amazing. Um, yeah. Do you remember his name? Sorry. Do you remember his name? I all right today? No, I said, do you remember the surgeon's name? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Westlake, George Westlake. Westlake. Yeah, he, 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 he is a legend. Yeah. So I did. I saw him a few times afterwards, just popped in yeah. to see him when I was a teenager uh, mm. and when I was in my 20s. And uh, he, um, <laughs> he used to climb mountains. He'd go off to climb mountains and... Uh, Ironically, I met up with one of his daughters, I think, 
No, no, it was a friend, a close friend of one of his daughters. Um, when my father was sick, um, apparently he had, at the age of about 75, he went, um, um, I think he was, I'm not sure whether he was surfing or um, water skiing, that's right, and had a huge accident and um, which broke both his hips. Um, but then he got better and went back back um, water skiing. Anyway, that was that was George Westlake. Yeah. So what what uh, what high school did you go to? Well, I went to Elwood High, Elwood High School, uh, and then I, um, which had a lot of migrants in it as well, because in those days, um, living next to water, next to St Kilda Beach. Uh, it, was, it was a place for the poor, not for the rich, because the rich lived in Turak Burwood or Burwood in those days. And um, <laughs> and when people asked me where where I lived, and I said St Kilda, and I said, oh, that must be a terrible place to live. You know, it's all the homeless there, and there's lots of boarding houses and a lot of migrants. And I said, you say, well, it's fantastic, the best place to live because of that. Um, but that's all changed now. So after yes. the after high school, I went to I got in somehow or other I don't know how I got into Monash University, and it was right on the just what before year? the what? the big Vietnam War um, campaigns. And, was it sixty six um, or sixty six or earlier? Sixty seven. So sixty seven. Ah, well, yeah, we, so anybody. Monash took anybody in 67 who had any, any, any <laughs> radical school. I was actually quite clever. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. The only reason why I got in, because I hated school, and I had, you know, and it just seemed so totally irrelevant, and I didn't want to learn about the fucking War of the Roses, which is all about the British history and all that kind of crap. Um, yeah. And the only... Um, the only reason that I, that I got into Monash is because I got a high a high mark for Russian, which oh, right. <laughs> you, you cheated on obviously. <laughs> so it, it inflated my 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 results. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. so sixty seven. So I, I so I uh, really threw myself into the and even before then, when I was even at school in the. Um, Mid sixties, early mid sixties. I um, at school we had um, peace group and anti-war groups, and so I was quite involved in those things as well. Well, so, at Elwood High School. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think people forget that uh, high schools were political cauldrons in those days. Not all of them, but a lot of the ones in the working class areas all around Australia. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was a difficult time. Yeah, yeah. No, so what, that what, did you study? Yeah. what did you study I, at Monash? Uh, Monash? Yeah. Well, I first uh, I did um, philosophy, psychology and politics. And yeah. halfway through the first year, I dropped philosophy and psychology um, uh-huh. and took history. Um, but but um, in those days, um, you didn't have to attend many... Many, many, many uh, lectures or tutorials to pass. Um, exactly. So a lot of activities were extracurricular activities on on yeah. campus. And um, you know what? You know, you know what? To me, I know this is a very simple thing, but you know what killed the radical spirit on campuses around the country? 
Yeah. Because I think university continuous assessment. Yes, yes. That killed yes. it because, you know, it, yes. it was up to you whether you went to lectures. And if you didn't yes. go to lectures, if you passed the exam at the end, it didn't really matter if you did, you know. You could go to other lectures if you wanted to. And uh, I would. I started university in 1970, so a similar period. So, you know, it was a yeah. different... So did you go to Melbourne on it? No, I went to Queensland initially, uh, oh, St. Lucia campus. Yeah, that's where I was yeah. born. It's St. Lucia yeah. campus. But what I'm just saying was it was a different culture and you did actually have time to develop ideas and make yeah. contact yeah. and friendships. So what was your time at well, Monash like? What was it like? Yes. Um, so academically, not much happening there. <laughs> um, but uh, politically, very very much active um, and um, because it was it was full of ideas so there was um, you know there, there was a lot of debates a lot of discussions arguments um, ideas being bounced around um, and it was quite respectful too even though people at times seemed to be quite angry with each other and abuse each other whatever but it was quite acceptive of different points of view as well. So mm. there were lots of differences of opinion on how, for instance, um, you know, demolish that raising money for the NLF, National Liberation Front. So there are a lot of discussions about um, uh, about strategies and whether it should be just for medical aid or whether it should be just blanket, um, blanket support, financial support. Um, and there are lots of arguments, lots of discussions, tactics. There were, you know, I, I was for a little while, I was on the editorial board of Lot's Wife, which was the, um, the Monash newspaper at the time. And there were lot of really quite a diverse um, views about, um, you know, how, about, it was basically about strategy, about strategies of how to um, end conscription and... Um, um, in Australia's involvement in the war, and um, and also about you know the fact about Australia, about the US. Um, so, I mean that was you know you really felt that you were in that environment. It was like a thousand flowers bloom, and as I said, even though there were pretty heated disagreements and arguments and different point points of view, but there was an acceptance that there is a divergence of views. And it wasn't that monolithic, um, oppressive environment that we have now, for instance, uh, where yeah. people are um, ex terrified or scared or reluctant to express points of view that are a bit different. Um, no, that's right. Yeah. And I think I think that on universities, some of it is also because in my days there was there were lots of there were jobs you can walk out with. Um, out of university, just scraping through, just with a, the lowest pa um, pass of 50 or 51, but you can still get a job. You could get a job in the public service or you could get a job in one of the companies. That's not the case anymore. And I think that's no. probably another factor that's... Yeah. that's and there's um, no hex debt. There was no hex debt. And hex, that's right. And there's no, there was no hex debt. So there are a whole lot of... Yeah, mm. yeah. No, big, big things. No. I think I think the three things which uh, created that environment, uh, most of the campuses in the sandstone universities around Australia was 
I think one was the conscription. That was a big issue because yeah. although people could defer if they went to university, you'd have 20-year-olds, I think it was 19-year-olds. You know, if, you, if your ball came up as a, as a male, it was a big, big change. You had yeah. no continuous assessment. You had that uh, attitude that you went to university not just to learn but to actually educate yourself. Uh, it's yeah. a different matter now. It's all about. And you're right about jobs. I got I got three jobs in one day once. Yeah. <laughs> all labouring jobs, but that's you could walk into a factory and say, "Have you got any work?" And they'd say, "Oh yeah, we'll start tomorrow." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, right. same with it's me. I went. Ball. I walked down. Um, I walked down um, Sydney Road, Brunswick, and I think in yeah. in one day I got four offers, and I yeah. all of them. I said, oh, "I'll come back and let you know." You know, and that's it right. was like. They were still there the day later, so it is. It is very. It is very different. It's much. It's much harder. But I think. Um, but the, the. But also, I think the vitality of that period as well. And I, I mean, we mustn't remet, rem, rem, forget that in 1968, yeah. the French, the big yeah. French, um, right across the world, there was the huge yeah. upheavals, um, particularly yeah. amongst young people, and it was against the US. In Vietnam, and you know, against capitalism and uh, a whole lot of issues. So there was, it spilled out into. Uh, it was even outside the university. It was even in society that, um, you know, there were lots of heated discussions. I remember handing out leaflets about the Vietnam War in shopping centres and getting into this discussion, sometimes arguments with people. But there was kind of, you know, um, there was an acceptance. There was far more acceptance that this is a different points of view. Um, and, yeah, sure, some people yelled at us and called us communists and all sort of, you know, people with horns, all those kind of things. But it was still... Um, it still had that sort of dynamic and vibrant environment of... Um, yeah, and po perhaps, possibly, this will happen after the after the. That'd be one of the um, outcomes of it, of COVID nineteen. We hope. <laughs> yeah, well, we can only yeah. hope. Now, look. Hope. When did you get a real job? When did you finish this mucking around at Monash Unit and get a real job? <laughs> well, um, well, after I um, finished uni. Um, I decided I didn't want to... No, no, it's not that I decided not to go into public service. I think I applied for somewhere or other in the public service and, and got rejected on security grounds, I'm sure. Well, well um, you weren't involved in the Vietnam moratorium marches and demonstrations. You weren't an organiser, were you, Wendy? Um, well, I was involved with the Monash Labor Club, yeah. And, yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. And 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 Asia had the spies everywhere. Um, yeah. you know, it's amazing how, yeah, how feral Asia was in those days. You know, you go to a meeting, there'd be a bloke outside taking down number plates. You know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, yeah. and you had. And I remember uh, one one um, afternoon at the university. Uh, we got you know you go regularly to a local pub, uh, local hotel. Yeah. And there was this guy that I had seen around, sort of hanging around us, um, uh, the, the more ethical students. And he sort of came up to me and started chatting me up. And it was obvious as no, oh, obvious as anything that he was. He introduced himself as a journalist and asked him what newspaper he was from. Um, uh, and he made some 
some comments about it about some obscure newspaper, local newspaper in the other right. side of the country in West. And he just started asking me questions about different people and things, you know. It was just obvious. And so they were they were hanging around on the periphery and trying collecting as much information as I can. And look, you know Joan Coxich did a lot of that, um, collected right, a lot of yeah. that material, and other yeah. people have about radio at that time. Undoubtedly, yeah. they're still doing it, but they're much more clever at it, probably. They've just listened to Yeah, well, in those days, it was very funny. It was tragic, really. They were, they'd be harassing people like you and me who were just basically, you know, peaceful activists, and at the same time, they'd be ignoring the Croatian nationalists, which was yes, setting up exactly. bombs in the centre of Melbourne, you know, in Sydney. In exactly, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's right. Not much has yeah. changed, has it? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't know. I'm still a very nice person, unlike yeah. you. So anyway, where did so, you go to work? So I, I actually, the first job I got was at Craft Factory in Port Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided that I that I wanted to, to spend some time um, just learning more about um, workers, and I think it's mainly because of my family background, and and I just felt quite much more comfortable, in spite of the fact that I was involved in with all the student activities. Um, I, I, I was still, um, I don't know, I, I just didn't feel completely comfortable and at ease um, with um, intellectuals and students. <laughs> and again, it, um, and academics, and I have a huge respect, and some of my best friends are now, um, academics, and um, but um, at the time, I just, yeah, I just didn't have the confidence, and I guess I guess that was because of, again, because of my background, my migrant background, and yeah. my parents, yeah. um, and also a lot of stuff that I had read. Um, so I, my, I think my first job was craft factory in Port Melbourne, making you know those cheese things, um, yep. and then I uh, worked at Queen Victoria Hospital in the women's section there. Um, then I act, and then I went on to working in the western when I moved to to the western suburbs the western suburbs community and legal service um, okay. which is a community community legal centres that were very very active in those days um, and then from there on I uh, worked as a union organizer um, right. so I worked for the posters union and the mm-hmm. NTU the National Tertiary Education Union. And how long? So that's, you... that's my that's my that's my CV for my that's it. work. That's it. The work section of my CV. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long were you a union organizer for? Uh, for about um, both for the NTU and and the Postis combined, probably about fifteen years, maybe eighteen years. Yeah, yeah. So it was quite a long how time. How did you find that job? How did you find that job? Um. I'll tell you, again, I'll tell you what I loved, and I've always said that to people, but what I really, really loved um, was the the connection with rank-and-file workers. Um, and I just got a lot of buzz out of them, out of, you know, I just... Um, the posties and the, um, you know, the, the, delivered the mails, but also the, 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 the workers in distribution centres and the parcel centres and... Just a really down to earth, grounded people. So th- that was the that was the best part. I really um, 
you know, just have huge respect for, for workers, for rank and file workers and the work they do and um, difficult situations. So I don't have any time for the bosses. Most bosses are just anyway. Um, right. But with um, the union movement itself, um, it has some terrific people, really has, some of the more militant, yeah, particularly now militant young workers um, who really, you know, have um, have come forward and um, taking taking on, trying to take on the leadership and some responsibility. Mm. Yeah. But uh, the problem with the union movement, as I see it, is that it's too closely tied to the ALP. That it's uh, yes. it's yes. Uh, it's an extension of the ALP, and it's you know yeah. it's the interests of the well, ALP. Well, the actual the union movement in 1891, after the disastrous strikes, 1992, in 1891 92, formed the ALP. Yeah, when they lost that big shearers across the uh, east coast. But get, getting back to, uh, uh, did you ever meet Jack Mundy? Because he died days ago, or Bob no, Prinkle? I have, or no, I didn't Rowan. meet Jack Mundy, but I did know um, John Cummins. So, yes. Yeah, but I didn't meet John, um, Mundy, no. Yeah, because uh, a, a, a lot of those figures that were so important in changing the direction of the union movement have yep. now died. People like Cummins and uh, yep. Owens and Pringle and Jack died two days ago. At least he got yeah, to 90, yeah. which is better than you and me. <laughs> right. Yeah, so no. I, think, I assume when you came to Australia, your surname wasn't in Winton. Sorry, my what? Your, you weren't Shirley Winton when you came to no, Australia. No, <laughs> no, no this, this is a, a story, and I feel really, really embarrassed and ashamed about it. This is oh, well, that's why we want to hear it. <laughs> you don't want to hear it? No, that's why we want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there was real... Um, a, because my 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 my, re, my name, my birth name that my parents gave me was um, Lucia, um, and my surname was Amatistine. And um, and when I went to school, it was um, and I'm not I'm not kind of you know um, walking around with a chip on my shoulder or anything like that. But kids found that because Australia was so insulated and so white Anglo. Anyone that was a little bit different with a different name is just looked upon as a being as a bit of an alien. Um, so that was that was so there was a bit of fun made of made of made of my particularly my surname. But my <laughs> but my name Lucia, which was given to me by you know I was named by my mum and dad. When the all the documentation, the immigration the, uh, documentation was being prepared by my aunties here. They changed my name from Lucia to Shirley because right. it was Anglo. Right. And they did the same with my um, with my um, my brother. So he right. was Sanya in Russian, and mm-hmm. and and he, his name was changed to Isaac. You know, Jewish too, because my both my parents were secular Jews. You know, they weren't right. into religious. In any shape or form, religious or they, they had very, you know, they weren't into the Jewish community and most of their friends were actually Australians when we came here after a while. 
So, um, so it was. It was also a kind of a reflection on on my family too that they felt, you know, the need to be kind of anglicised and to be yeah. accepted. So we arrived here. Yeah. My mum was apparently said to me later she was absolutely shocked to find that her kids' names had been changed. I can I can tell you a guilty secret. The same thing happened in my family. Yeah. Um, my I'm on birth certificate. My name is Giuseppe, but it didn't Giuseppe? take long at school. Yeah. To, Giuseppe it didn't take long at school for it to be changed to Joe. It's the way we survived, it, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And um, so you, haven't, you haven't you haven't got a guilty secret. Just survival story. <laughs> that's right. It is survival, but uh, you know. But still, I I feel quite. I I feel quite sad, embarrassed and angry, you know, about that. I should have, you know, reverted back, um, you know, when I was an adult. But it was still, this thing was still hanging over me about, um, it was so ingrained into me about being, um, um, being a need to be accepted into the society, into the community, into the Australian yeah, community. Um, and even though I was rebelling, my rebellion was, I was really rebellious, um, adolescent um, but my rebellion was against my parents and not channeled towards you know rebellion to much later channeled against yeah. um, you know the, the the system and um, the in, the injustice of, of the system so right. anyway but uh, but that's 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 a, a common story for all migrants especially our generation and especially even even Torres Strait Islanders, where they had to pretend they were, uh, you know, yeah. self-specific, or uh, their children be taken away, and there's there's a lot of yeah. that. And we shouldn't feel, we shouldn't feel guilt. We should feel that it's good that uh, yeah. our parents did what they could to help us uh, integrate, make our life a little bit easier. But it's up to yeah. us. Change your name on your births. Change your name. I change my name on all my official documents. It's always Giuseppe Toscano. So you yeah, should change I'll, your I'll name. Have, I'll have. I've spoken to you. I will definitely do it, Joe. Giuseppe. All right. I'll, I'll, thank you. <laughs> um, look, the other the other thing that that um, I, I don't want to go on talking about me, myself, but it's just that a whole period that migrants um, that really had quite an impact on me is the fact that we we came out from the Soviet Union, and my memories were quite good. You know, like as a child, I, I felt very safe, protected. You know, great health, yeah. education, all those kind of things, and. And when we arrived here, it was sort of it was bad enough that you didn't speak English. But the fact that you, this is, mind you, sort of the middle of towards the end of the Cold War, the fact that you arrived from Soviet Union, a communist country, just made you being a, you know, an almost monster. And that's sort of something, too, that, you know, probably yeah. also had some, some impact on me as well. But anyway, right. um, but can we talk about now? About of course, of course, of course, of course. We don't want, of course, we can talk about now. So, uh, I assume you're uh, sitting in your armchair in front of a fire, dozing off. That's what you're doing these days. <laughs> no, now when I what I meant about can we talk about now? I mean, like, do we have to? You know, let's not talk about me because. Yeah. Well, what are you doing? Uh, no, no, no. Look, the program's about you. Okay, it's Radical Australia. The purpose of the program is to show people that radical thought comes from 
different backgrounds and how it develops over time. So what are you doing these days and what, what are the important issues for you? Uh, well, um, I'm, well, you know I'm quite involved with Spirit of Eureka. That's kind of the... Tell, us about Spirit of, or tell the listeners about Spirit of Eureka. Okay, so Spirit of Eureka was basically formed in 1954, sorry, where am I saying, in um, 2004 on the 150th anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion and it was basically formed to continue, to continue that, um, the struggle that the Eureka rebels in 1854, 150 years earlier had started. Um, basically for justice, for democratic rights, and that, that basically laid the foundations for for continuing struggles of um, of working people. But I, I mean, look, um, I don't need to go into that a lot because you know all about it, Joe. So, and I'm yeah, sure that you've cool. done a lot talking about the Eureka yeah, Rebellion. Surely, 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 you may find this difficult to believe. We do have one listener who may not know what you're doing. <laughs> what other activities are you involved in? Um, so at the moment I'm also involved in the um, IPAN, which is Independent Peaceful Australia Network. Um, and it was formed about 10 years ago. We initiated about yeah, 10, 10 years ago. was on the announcement, um, uh, the Gillard government's announcement of... Um, um, uh, welcoming American troops to Darwin. Uh, this is for right. permanent rotation, expanding all the, the military bases like Pine Gap uh, and basically being integrated much more into the American um, American military, uh, integrated it and become much more interoperable, the American uh, global military agendas. Um, and... The big, the central issue over that is the US-Australia line. So we advocating for an end to um, to Australia continuing in, the, in this alliance and advocating for a greater independence, for Australia to be independent of the US, um, um, militarily and also economically, but also to be economically independent of all big powers. Um, and for Australian people to take control of, um, you know, of the of the country and of um, the society. Um, so the IPAN is Independent Peaceful Australian Network. That's probably taking up a fair bit of my time um, mm -hmm. in um, promoting um, that Australia's independence and also um, ending the the US Australia alliance. So the most our most recent activities, and I'm not, I'm not advertising anything here. Um, we issued a, a, a statement, which is a people's call for healthcare, not warfare, um, which calls for the Australian government to to stop channeling or funneling billions of dollars into offensive wars and into the U.S.-Australia alliance. Um, and divert that to the health and safety of people and the environment. It came out just at, towards right at the beginning, I think, of the COVID-19, um, where there was a, um, a big um, concern and outcry about about the insufficient um, um, insufficient um, 
facilities, hospitals, uh, um, PPEs, the protective personal or personal protective equipment, equipment the, yes. um, that was, we were not prepared, Australia's, because of the priorities, that Australia was not prepared to deal with this, the COVID-19 um, virus, and also to show the, the virus had had actually um, had had, um, um, re, uh, had a, what do you call it, uh, revealed um, and exposed the huge um, inequity um, in 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 our society of how uh, the wealth of the country is spent is spent on. Um, on, on wars and uh, on, on foreign wars, military wars, um, but also on that the, the amount of the fact that the big multinational corporations haven't been paying taxes uh, for years, um, and yet we've got we were so underfunded and under resourced in dealing with um, this COVID virus. So we we issued a call. Surely, surely, I'll just stop you for a second. You're not by any chance suggesting that we should manufacture our own stuff, that we don't import it from places we exploit economically? No, You're not suggesting not. that by any means. You're not suggesting that, are you? <laughs> that we, go, well, we manufacture things like face masks and, and, and uh, goggles and all that type of stuff and day-to-day -day things well, that we use, like well, soap or... You, that's the big elephant in the in the in the room, Joe, and you brought it in. <laughs> absolutely agree with you. Absolutely, that we can't. I tell you something about the the, the mask things. Is um, I, I was at a I was at a dentist at the time when the virus stuff broke out, and uh, yeah. I sort of um, asked him whether they had uh, sufficient masks, and he said they did, and then he went on off on this. Um, on this rave about why we meant, why we importing the masks, why yeah. do we need, why we're so reliant on ventilators to be um, to be imported, and apparently yeah. that's a really big issue. And you'd know that amongst the. Yeah, it's a huge issue. Huge issue. I it mean, is a huge issue. A, if we, if we, yeah. If Sorry, we play no, our I'm, cards, I'm just saying, if we play our cards right as activists, we should see a resurgence of. Uh, Manufacturing, not just by corporations, but maybe yep. like in the old days with cooperatives and collectives, actually getting a bit of yep. seeding yep. funding and, and so, getting and involved social, in that. Social ownership, social ownership. Yeah, social ownership. Yeah, of yeah. The, yeah, absolutely. And I think that I totally agree with you. I think this is um, really the COVID 19 really exposed all these um, the contradictions, it exposed the, the huge um, the risks, the huge risks that. that you know, and dangers, um, mm. you know, presently by not having our own self-reliant key industries. Um, mm. So I, it is it's a time that we need to really project it. And uh, and the, the thing is, too, Joe, as you know, that it would have enormous public support because that's one of the mm. exposures that's really kind of um, uh, drew attention, people's attention. And um, yeah. there's a lot of outcry about it. So, yeah, a lot of, and it's not just the health; it's not just health workers and health professionals. It's right across many industries as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it's, and I agree with you. It's not just about the corporations setting up 
um, you know, trying to renew the industries, the manufacturing industries, we should be advocating for that social public ownership of of those um, of, of those industries. And um, because it's only public ownership that will will ensure that we have ample supply. Because it's not it's not for profit. And once you bring in the profit into it, then you start compromising the needs, the, the public needs, the social and common needs of people. So, yeah. are you involved in any other projects? Um, well, we've got a little bit. We've got. We're doing some stuff here in the western suburbs. Um, right. At the moment, the um, the big issue. This is with um, so I'm quite involved with with unions as well. Um, right. So at the moment, the um, you probably you probably know Joe the the um, local government in local local councils are, are sacking yes, yes. workers, um, casual yes. workers, um, and yes. the local council here in Maribyrnong, um, and I think other councils as well are doing a real shift is where they. Workers who have been casuals, uh, um, they're being terminated and then being promised to be re-employed, um, but uh, starting so, uh, but starting as as um, as new workers, so that they're not entitled to all the entitlements. Um, so we we're just developing a bit of a campaign um, to support the the to support the council workers. And a lot of these council workers are like childcare workers, garden, gardeners, um, um, you know, home services, um, support communities, home services and community support services. So there's a lot of if, there's a lot of that lot of happening yeah. as well. And if, people sure want to, if people want to um, get in contact with you, and I don't want you to give us your personal number, but there are any uh, public. Uh, uh, web pages or Facebook pages or addresses, postal addresses yes, you'd sure. like so to share? Maybe, maybe I could give you this piece of Eureka. Uh, the, um, we've got there's a website, a Spirit of Eureka website, but also there's in Victoria Spirit of Eureka um, email address, which is Spirit of Eureka, one word, Vic3, V-I-C-3, so that's the Victoria, because the Spirit of Eureka in, New South Wales, Queensland, and Adelaide. So the Spirit uh -huh. of Eureka Vic Three at Gmail. So you can, if you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, and for IPAN Independent Peaceful Australia Network, um, our, our um, sorry, our, we've got we've got a, a website, ipan.org.au, or ipan.victoria at gmail.com. Right. No. That's good. You'll be able to find them on, on doing a Google yeah. search, both of them. Look, it, so in, yeah. in the last uh, in the last three or four minutes, we we have uh, Shirley Winton. Do you have any advice, just in case somebody under sixty is listening to the program? What advice to give them? Under the what, younger people, younger people. Yeah. Any advice? Okay. You've been around a long time. You've done a lot of things. Yeah, I reckon be bold, be confident in your in your um, commitments and passion, and and you know, and look at the and be and and always look for the collective. Always look to bring bring people together. I think it's not an individual. This struggle, people struggles, has never been um, an, an 
individual effort. It's always been a collective. It's always a collective that's going to to change the world and shake the world and move the world. But be bold. Mm. Be bold. Be bold be and confident. confident in your commitments. Be bold. Mm. be bold. Be confident and uh, look around and uh, come together like the old uh, hate. Uh, you know, like, who were they? Tolpuddle Markers in 1826. Yeah. He swore an oath and formed the first agricultural union in the uh, history of uh, yeah. England. And, yeah, it's, and, it's, mm. and it's the mass, it's the mass mobilisation, it's the mass activism that will change things. Yeah. And one thing that I was going to mention, you might not be able to fit in, but, you know, the... Oh, the Eureka Rebellion, um, the rebellion itself and the stockade was really, really important, but equally important that gets always, I think, gets rubbed out and hidden is the fact that there were 10,000 that after the rebellion that came out in support of the, of the rebels who were charged with sedition, yes. and um, and that and 10,000 twice, two or three times, several times, yes. came out on the yes. streets. Um, calling for the charges to be dropped and for them to be released, and no jury could, um, no jury could, that could not ever get a jury to find them guilty. And that was because of that mass mobilisation. That was because of the mass action, and that's been. Well, it was mass action. Yeah. Sorry. It was mass action. They were charged with high treason, which meant they would have been hung, drawn, and quartered if they were found guilty. And yeah. uh, the only reason the government. Uh, acquiesced to every demand on the Charter was the fact that every city, every town in Victoria was up in arms at what had occurred. Yeah. And they were frightened yeah. of a whole-scale revolution and uh, the end of the monarchy in Victoria. Yeah. People forget that. That is written out of the history, you're quite right, that mass yeah. mobile. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't just relying on parliamentary representatives. And um, right. it wasn't relying on Parliament. It was organising at the grassroots. It was mass mobilisation, and that's the any change throughout history has come about through that, through the collective actions, through the organisation of of the masses of the people. Right. So. right. Well, Shirley Winton, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I hope you keep your promises to the listeners and uh, change your name at some stage in the future. <laughs> I'll tell you, Joe. When I do it, I'll I'll send you an email. Good, and then I'll re-interview you about it. But the thing is, you, now you've got to decide: are you going to be cremated or buried? Have you decided? No, yeah, I'm going to be cremated. Well, what are we going to put on the urn? What name are we going to put on the urn? Or are we going to put both <laughs> names on it? <laughs> oh, I don't care. Probably Lucy would probably be better. I prefer that. I always think of myself as that. <laughs> All right. Well, you look so, after yourself. Yeah, you uh, too, Joe. Thanks. And yeah. um, keep up the great work that you're doing, Joe. Yeah, look, it's been an honour speaking to you, and uh, I wish you all the best for the future. Okay, and thanks, Joe. You Thank and I will go to each other's 100th okay. birthday party. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.